So like I said, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 40. I'm going to read verses 6 through 11 for us in a moment. I just have a simple goal this morning. My simple goal is to to express three things from this text uh, that we can reflect on over the next few days. And certainly, again, there's going to be a lot vying for our attention over the course of the next 48 hours. Uh, And so we want to walk away with a handful of things. And my prayer is that we would benefit from thinking on these things. The Lord would shape us together in them. Let me read this for us. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 6. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the bread, breath of the, when the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, says this, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So again, just three things to reflect on this morning, three things to think about as we head into our week. The first is simply this, God's word. Uh, The second is a great reward. And the third is a gentle shepherd. And really by meditating on these things, what I hope to do is kind of come to a conclusion about the application of the very last line in verse 9 of Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, where it says, Behold your God. And it is the duty and the right of and the privilege of uh, Israel, of God's people, of Zion, to herald the good news. And the good news is what? The good news is, Behold your God. A people who have the ability now to communicate very clearly to the world about a God who loves them and who died for them. That world we hold there is kind of like look. We might say look in our, in our society. But even again, it's a little bit more than just look. The word there is a call to remember. It's a call to perceive. It's a call to ingest. It's a call to keep in view. And remember when we thought about the Psalms of Ascent, it is a call to order your life around and orient your life towards, towards God. And the word behold then is a call to worship. So let's consider these three things, and we'll start with God's Word. And I want you to just look at verses 6, 7, and 8 with me, because the large part of this is about about God's Word. A voice tells Isaiah to cry out. This is the voice of the Lord. He tells him to cry out. And if you go up to the page, you'll see the specific purpose here, the prefiguring of John the Baptist, especially... (laughs) Especially verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. A prefiguring of John the Baptist who, who came and proclaimed and heralded the coming Christ. But the voice tells Isaiah in verse 6 to make a proclamation. He says, cry. And he says, what shall I cry? And he says, all flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. 
The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So he contrasts two things, right? He contrasts human flesh and he contrasts the word of the Lord. And so what does this contrast have to do with Christmas? We must consider what John, the Apostle John, wrote in his gospel in verse 14 of chapter 1. He tells us, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from a father full of grace and truth. So the contrast here that Isaiah is, or that is pointed out to Isaiah rather, is seen specifically both things in Christ. When Isaiah heard these things and recorded them, all flesh was grass, temporary in beauty, fading in its glory. And that, was the, and that is the reality now of our flesh also. But look at verse 8. Again, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. So we have the temporary and we have the eternal. These two things contrasted together and we see both of them pictured in Christ Jesus. And the amazing thing about Christmas is that Jesus is God's word who took on flesh. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Jesus is God's word who took on flesh. John will say earlier in his chapter, in chapter 1, right at the beginning of his gospel, he starts out by saying this, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning, or he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was nothing made that was made. But again, we get to verse 14, he says, The word took on flesh and dwelled among us. All flesh is like grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So here's why it matters. Here's why this matters. Christmas means that God came to get us, not vice versa. Christmas means that God came to get us. The word, Jesus Christ, took on flesh. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is Jesus, the one who came to save the people from their sins. And Christmas is good news because it doesn't put us in a place as those who must work for or earn right standing with God or work for or earn our way back to God. Rather, God came to us, born in a manger, taking on human flesh, living a life of perfect obedience to his heavenly Father and paying the penalty for our sin. God came to us. Every other religion in the world is about ascending to some deity or some eternal state or some higher plane of ethereal thinking. Through great work and difficulty, this comes about. But friends, we this week will celebrate Christmas. And Christianity sets aside this time, and it stands in stark contrast to all other religious thought by admitting the ascent to God is far outside of our ability. Rather, God condescended. And came down to us. And because of Jesus, now we take on the incorruptible. What Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 15. We're going through 1 Corinthians right now. And like a year we'll get to 15. We'll be there. But it won't be that long. But we can take on the incorruptible. We take on now the incorruptible. Again, all flesh is like grass. Our bodies here, our physical forms are wasting away. They're, they're becoming nothing. This is the flesh that we are made up of currently. In eternity, the flesh that withers and fades like grass here will no longer. 
and because of the word of the Lord will stand forever. We will inherit flesh, much like Christ Jesus. And at Christmas, we celebrate the word taking on flesh. The second thing to meditate on this morning is, is a great reward. And we see this language and we think one thing. But if you look with me at verse 10, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense is before him. That, that third line there, behold, look, his reward is with him. And we ask ourselves the question, what is the reward? What is the reward? But we think of a reward as a due, or a right, or something earned. And for us in our society, that's true in most instances. That's something that actually is the way that we use the word reward. But oftentimes, this is not the way that the Bible uses the word reward. Consider Hebrews 11.6. There's a lot more nuance here. The author of Hebrews writes this, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. See that word in there? For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. If we were to look at this, we must realize immediately that the reward is not something that is earned or achieved. Because then we would have to say that God is bent to our will or that we are strong-arming God. That God is made subject to his creatures when they conjure faith. But that's not at all the intent of, of this word. Rather, I think this word could easily be read effect. The effect. And let me explain that. Behold, his reward is hit with him, or behold, his effect is with him. What does that mean and why is it important? It means this. Jesus came down to earth. He condescended as a demonstration of God's power to affect the state of eternal souls. Jesus came to earth, he condescended as a demonstration of God's power to affect the state of eternal souls. We were moved from objects of God's wrath on that trajectory to objects of God's mercy because of Christ who took on human flesh, who suffered and died in our, our place. And therefore we become the recipients of this great effect that God, God's power displayed in Christ. And this is part of the good news of Christmas, that we become the recipients of this great effect, the effect of God's power. The birth of a baby, again, when we even spoke about this last week in 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 2, 5, and we saw that the power of God is, is, seems weak to the world. A baby lying in a manger here. The birth of a baby in Bethlehem in a stable brought about a great effect for all of humanity. And the reward or the effect of God's power is displayed in Christ and then becomes ours. So Christmas is about receiving a reward. When we are joined with Christ, we become partakers in the reward or in the effect of God's power. And again, Hebrews 11.6, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So we are now able to please God as those who are in Christ. We are now able to please God because of the effect of God's power in us to create one thing in us, to create faith in us. 
Jesus is, then in Hebrews 12, 2, tells us the founder and the perfecter of our faith. The reward that comes to us in Christ is faith. Faith is the belief that God will fulfill all his promises to his people. The effect of God's power displayed to us is faith in Christ Jesus that joins us with Jesus. That's a lot. God's power is displayed in us as those who earnestly seek him because faith is the effect of God's power in Christ. Think about it this way. We often get this backwards. We start to think about this in a backward sort of sense. And some, some Christians will think that, that, it's a, that faith is a prerequisite for God's activity. When in reality, what's being communicated here in Isaiah 40 verse 10 is the exact opposite. Faith is the result of God's gracious activity in our lives. Because we have been affected by the power of of God demonstrated in Christ Jesus, the condescension of the second person of the Trinity, taking on flesh and dwelling amongst his creatures. If you're in Christ, you have been affected by the power of God. You saw, friends, you saw, no Christian has ever not seen the devastating effect of sin in in his or her life. So you saw the devastating state of, your, the sin, of the sin that you were in and you saw the beauty of God displayed in Christ Jesus and the only way to deal with that sin and get back to God and you believe that Jesus was the Christ and he was the only way to do that, to get back to God. And the reward Christ comes with, behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him. The reward that Christ comes with is the full display of God's power to save sinners. The reward that you get is not earned, but by now having the ability to trust the God who created you. And without Christmas, then the basis of our, our, our faith does not exist. The power of God would not be displayed, and we would be left striving to get back to a holy God through our own feeble, fickle, and uninsufficient efforts. But the baby in the manger heralded the power of God that would affect the trajectory of eternal souls. Behold, his reward is with him. Final thing this morning then that I'd like you to consider and meditate on over the course of the next few days is a gentle shepherd. Look at verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is an exhausting time of year. Just the realities of the, all of the things that our culture is kind of attached to the Christmas season and the holiday season, that becomes pretty exhausting. There's a lot going on. Cooking, cleaning, travel, squeezing family in, emotionally taxing conversations with those family members, last second shopping, trying to get everything just right. The reality of verse 11 is that we have a gentle shepherd, Christ Jesus. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
He will tend to his flock. He will care for you. He will protect you. He will hold you close to himself. He will lead you in the best possible path. Don't, don't meet this image with doubt. Do not meet this image with doubt by ignoring it. That, that anxiety that you feel about everything that's going to have to happen before, before Tuesday must be met and addressed with the reality, the truth that's prescribed here in verse 11. That you have a gentle shepherd who leads you, who guides you, whose yoke is easy and his burden is light. So we meditate as Christ, on Christ as our shepherd. Jesus says in John 10, verses 11 through 15, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He, is, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know my Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. There are many things that will vie for your attention that you will look at and you will say, that is a gentle shepherd that can lead me. Some peace and quiet. The car ride back from uh, a tense meeting with family members. And you will look at that and you'll say, this can offer me peace and comfort that I need. But those are hired hands. Those are hired hands. They do not know they do not know you. And when wolves come, those things, friends, will betray you. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is gentle. He is lowly in heart. Or meditate on Psalm 23, an easy place to go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Friends, we need soul restoration. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The sheep trust their shepherd. Consider your grief, consider your burdens, consider your anxiety, consider your worry right now. You have a gentle shepherd. Your shepherd leads you beside still waters and restores your soul. Jesus, like a gentle shepherd, cares for God's people. So those three things this week, consider those three things. God's word, a great reward, and a gentle shepherd. So what I wanted say here is that last line in, in, in verse 9, behold your God. And what does that all have to do with that? Because I think even these, these few verses here, these six verses that we've looked at sort of hinge on that proclamation, behold your God. Because we behold our God in God's word, we behold our God as one who brings about great faith in us, and we behold our God as uh, a gentle shepherd. So three things I'll give to you that are in direct relation to those things. How do we behold our God? What is the direct application to the proclamation that is, is told to the people of God to make? What is the direct application of the, the proclamation, behold your God? First, we see the place we behold our God most clearly is in God's word. 
We see the place that we behold our God most clearly is in God's word. In the written word that stands before us this morning. And in the word that took on flesh, Jesus Christ. We live in a world that is constantly demanding that we behold our God. Friends, this morning we need to consider the fact that everything in our world is making this proclamation to us. But it's not about the one true God. A car commercial when you watch the Vikings game this afternoon is going to make a proclamation to you to behold your God. But your God is not a car. You are going to look at your, you're going to look at your bank statement after the holidays and you're going to see a number there and that bank statement is going to tell you to behold your God. But your, your God is not a number on a sheet of paper or on a screen. A place of employment is going to tell you to behold your God, but your God is not a career path. And our world is full of endless things that demand God's rightful place in our lives. We will behold them, we will remember them, we will perceive them, we will keep them in view, and we will be tempted to order our life around or orient our lives towards these things. We will be tempted to worship them. But we must keep in view that the grass withers and the flower fades, but there is one thing that stands forever, and it is the word of the Lord. And so we behold our God most clearly when we go to God's word and seek to exalt Christ above all else in this life. Secondly then, in conclusion, that which allows us, behold your God, is that which allows us to behold our God, is faith. That which allows us to behold our God and see through the temptations of the world, the cars and the bank accounts and the, and the career paths and all of those things that vie for our attention and tell us to behold them as our God, the thing that will keep our God in view is, is faith. And faith, again, is the effect of God's power at work in, in our lives. We believe it because God's power is at work in us. Faith is belief that God will fulfill all his promises to us. And we know that all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. And so we celebrate that at Christmas time we can see the full effect of God's power taking place in our life. Because the baby who lay in the manger was the fulfillment and the yes to all of those promises. Finally then in conclusion we see that our task is to proclaim, behold your God. Our task is to proclaim, behold your God. Everything else is telling us to behold our God in something else. And through faith, we will keep our God in, in view. However, we now have a task, and that task is to, be, to proclaim to a world in darkness, behold your God. Verse 9 again, Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, O people of God, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, say to the surrounding regions, say to the people who you come in contact with, say, behold your God. The call is to proclaim, behold your God. It isn't to join a Keep Christ in Christmas political campaign, but rather to proclaim that must be that Jesus is better. Our proclamation must be that Jesus is better. Not just at Christmas, but every, every one of the other 364 days of the year. 
Jesus is better than the idols our hearts manufacture of money and material and family and of work and all of these different things. And what is it that we're putting in God's rightful place? Jesus is better. What is it that the world is putting in Jesus' rightful place? Jesus is better. Our whole lives must be a proclamation to the world to behold our God, the one true God, the, the word of God through God's word who took on flesh and dwelled among us. And so let's make, Buffalo City Church family, let's make Christmas a loud proclamation of behold your God by centering our celebrations on his word, by praying earnestly for faith, and by proclaiming a life and living lives, by proclaiming and living lives with Jesus at the center. Let me close with this. No doubt you've heard of the Puritans, probably in an American history class, and oftentimes the Puritans are painted in American history as like a, a really judgmental, moralistic group of people uh, with, with a lot of uh, radical tendencies. But I think that largely history has been unkind to the Puritans, and I think that the Puritans provided some of the most Christ-exalting, uh, Bible-based, gospel-centered writings in the history of all the church. And part of my, my own daily devotions involves reading from the Valley of Vision, which is a collection of, of Puritan prayers published in the 1600s. And in closing, let me read to you from a prayer called Christ the Word. My Father, in a world of created changeable things, Christ and his word alone remain unshaken. O to forsake all creatures, to rest as a stone on him, the foundation to abide in him, be borne by him. For all my mercies come through Christ, who designed, purchased, promised, and effected them. How sweet it is to be near him, the lamb, filled with holy affections. When I sin against thee, I cross thy will, love, life, and have no comforter, no creature to go to. My sin is not so much this or that particular evil, but continual separation, disunion, distance from thee, and have a loose spirit towards thee. But thou hast given me a present, Jesus thy Son, as a mediator between thyself and my soul, as a middleman who in pit holds both him below and him above, for only he can span the chasm breached by my sin and satisfy divine justice. May I always lay hold upon this mediator as a realized object of faith and alone worthy by his love to bridge the gulf. Let me know that he is dear to me by his word. I am on with him by the word on his part and by faith on mine. If I oppose the word, I oppose my Lord when he is most near. If I receive the word, I receive my Lord wherein he is nigh. O thou who hast the hearts of all men in thine hand, form my heart according to the word, according to the image of thy Son. So shall Christ the word and his word be my strength and comfort. Let's pray.